0: Welcome to Family Travel Radio, the official podcast of the Family Travel Association. Family Travel Radio is on the air, helping you discover the world of possibilities family travel has to offer. Well, hello there, and welcome back to Family Travel Radio, your go-to podcast for incredible destinations, amazing experiences, and life-changing family adventures. It's Aaron Schlein here, and for the entire month of July, we're going to be dipping back into the archives of a podcast that I used to host called Dramatic Travels. All month, you've been hearing me say that without Dramatic Travels, family travel radio would never have come to exist. Before we get back to new episodes next week, I've got one last episode from the Dramatic Travels vault, and this is the episode that started it all. The conversation you're going to listen in on today is the first conversation I ever had with Reiner Jens president and founder of the Family Travel Association. and Reiner and I would go on to have many more conversations and eventually we decided to team up to launch Family Travel Radio. I am incredibly grateful not only to Reiner and to the FTA but also to my very good friend Jessica Parker who introduced me to Reiner when I asked her if she knew anyone who could talk family travel who she thought would make a good guest for my podcast, Dramatic Travels. Jess, you're awesome. You're amazing. You have my eternal gratitude. So here it is, my friend, one last episode from the Dramatic Travels vault, and it's a little slice of history. My chat with Reiner Jens from May of 2018. Enjoy it, and we'll be back with a brand new episode of Family Travel Radio next Monday. And I will see you then. This is Dramatic Travels. Dramatic Travels family, I am thrilled to introduce you to today's featured guest, Reiner Jens. Reiner, are you ready to share your Dramatic Travels?
1: I absolutely am.
0: Sweet. Let's do it. All right. Reiner is a former 13-year veteran and vice president at the National Geographic Society and is now the president and founder of the Family Travel Association. Reiner, my friend, that is your official bio. Take a minute, expand on your personal and business life, and just tell us about your world.
1: Uh, Well, honestly, my personal and business lives uh, kind of uh, merged about 10 years ago uh, when, or right after, my wife and I decided to uh, leave our jobs, our highly paid, successful corporate lives, and uh, we took a, a year off to travel around the world, as many aspire or wish to do someday but we actually put it into action uh, in our case we did it with uh, our two young boys who were at the time eight and 11 which uh, if you're gonna spend a year with your kids you don't even really have to travel anywhere that's an adventure in and of itself but the fact that we did so um, you know hitting 28 different countries made it that much more uh, you know intense and interesting but in any event uh, through that personal, uh, quest and, and ambition, it led into a whole new uh, opportunity for me professionally, uh, which was to ultimately launch the Family Travel Association. So, you know, in my case, it was really merging my passion and interest for for traveling, um, being a father, being a dad, and that uh, converged with uh, my career in publishing, business development, uh, and, and with that as a combination, uh, we launched the Family Travel Association. So it is possible to to marry your personal and professional lives and, and have them coexist in a way that's uh, exciting and, and, a, and a way to make a living.
0: Well, I love that insight that you know, that spot where passion and expertise, cross. And then you add, you throw in just the demand for that passion and expertise. And obviously travel and family travel is just a huge, huge industry. And the demand is so great that you were able to just take that knowledge, that expertise and that passion and just put it into, put it into action in such a real way.
1: Yeah. And it's not easy to do. Uh, you know, I've met a lot of people who are very, uh, personally passionate and, and interested in travel, they have that wanderlust, like so many of us do, and they just kind of start hitting the road to see how they could make a living doing it. And it's not easy. Uh, so, besides being resourceful, uh, you know, it, it obviously helps to have business acumen in some way that you know you'd be able to kind of figure out how things can work uh, professionally and sustainably. Uh, but also, it really, it's about networking uh, and and getting yourself out there, meeting people, uh, having conversations getting, um, information and then putting those connections together, uh, to make something work. Uh, again, it, it, it's not easy. It takes a little time and effort and dedication and, and commitment. You know, these things don't always come overnight, but, uh, again, with that, with that combination and, and perhaps a little bit of, uh, fortune, good fortune and, and luck, uh, you, you can get there.
0: Yeah, this isn't necessarily a networking show, but I'd love to hear just one golden piece of advice for people who may be struggling with that network piece because obviously you've learned a thing or two over the years. I'd love to hear your take.
1: Yeah, look, it doesn't really matter what profession you're in. I mean, I know professional photographers, you could be the best uh, photographer in the world. You can be a terrific artist, musician, doesn't matter what it is, uh, or or accountant. If you don't let people know about it and and get yourself out there, I mean, look, and it's and it's easier now. You've got social media, you know, you've got LinkedIn, you've got all kinds of resources at your disposal. Uh, but you have to figure out a way to market yourself, just just a little bit, and to use social media resources, like I said, and, and go to events, go to meetups, um, and look. If it's part of your passion, it should be should be a lot of fun. Um, but you have to put yourself out there. You can't just you know kind of rest on your laurels, given your gifts and talents, and think that that's going to get you uh, to. to you know, where you ultimately
0: want to be. Yeah. Working in that, working in the vacuum or never getting out of the, the bat cave as I call it, that it never gets you anywhere. Yeah. I love, I love that. I love that aspect of it. Um, so we're going to talk about all sorts of stuff with family travel, uh, association and, uh, there's a lot of exciting stuff you have for the future, but first let's get to know, to know you Reiner. I'd love for you to take us back to your earliest travel memory and really take us there and engage those emotions.
1: Uh, Well, I uh, moved to the US when I was in first grade. I had just turned, I was turning seven. uh, But prior to that, I lived uh, and was born in Germany. I lived there for five years total. Um, Also lived in Brazil for two years. So I had a little bit of that travel, I guess, in me at at a very young age. Uh, The first real kind of Vacation travel, if you will, uh, with my parents. We're on on cruise ships. We cruised around uh, South America a little bit. I remember on an Italian line, interestingly enough. But you know, we we circumnavigated South America. Uh, and interestingly, when I and really, I, I think really my most profound early memory of traveling was going on an ocean liner. You know, back then it was more ocean liners and cruise ships. But we uh, we sailed to America when I when I was seven years six years old. Uh, on the Italian line, the Michelangelo, beautiful ship. Um, And we pulled into New York Harbor. I saw the Statue of Liberty with my mom who was crying and, you know, this kind of profound moment of coming to America. And no, it wasn't endless Island, but you know, it was 1970. So, uh, but really, you know, I mentioned cruises because for a lot of children uh, travel and travel experiences can and do start there. Uh, And you know they are certainly now more than ever you know really geared towards kids to be fun and you know, they got water slides heck there's even a ship now that has a racetrack on it but um you know the one thing about being on a ship actually for kids it, it gives them the opportunity to actually become a little bit independent for the first time you know their, their parents kind of leave them alone to wander the ship and meet other kids and and that's uh that that's a you know, a, a, a profound and, and an important moment in a child's life to have a little bit of that independence while you're on vacation. So anyway, but for me, uh, you know, interestingly, I met a good friend of mine. Uh, well, he turned out to be a lifelong friend. But when I was 13 years old, I met him on a cruise ship. And uh, I remember him calling me when I was 23 years old, looking to get out of banking. And he said, hey, Reiner, I'm going to be working on a cruise ship, QE2. do um, you want to join me, I want to be a deckhand. And I was like, really? (laughs) And I almost did it. I I might continue the story a little later, but, uh, because I wanted to get, I wanted to get into the travel industry. You know, I was starting to kind of network, as I said earlier, and and learn about different jobs in the, uh, in the travel industry. And when someone called and said, Hey, do you want to be a deckhand on the QE2 for an around the world 80 day trip? I almost jumped on it. But, uh, but you know, with cruising, I got a, a good sense of, uh, you know the Caribbean in the world, and and that I think just started to feed the the wanderlust, and um, you know now, uh, you know now that I'm in my early fifties, I've been in almost sixty countries and so forth. So, but I think it really started there, um, you know, again on those ships when I was when I was quite young.
0: Totally agree with you that whole um that independence piece because that's the, those were my earliest travel memories. Actually started. Uh, it really spun around independence. It was being in London. I was a little older. I was 12 years old, but I remember after just a few days being able to, I knew the whole the whole underground system. I could get all over town and I knew which stops to transfer at. And I remember coming home just being, wow, I'm 12 years old. I was in this major city on the other side of the world and I could get around all by myself. That independence uh, was really powerful and it stuck with me into my entire life and really kicked off a lifetime of travel.
1: Aaron, that's a good point, and and I want to actually expand on that just a little bit. Uh, a lot of people think, and particularly parents, that uh, you know, travel is educational. Um, and when you t- use that term specifically, and I think too often it gets associated with kind of academic education, meaning like, okay, does that mean we need to go to museums, or you know, we need to go somewhere that's culturally enriching? And I, I would certainly uh, be a proponent of that, uh, absolutely, but. You know, travel, I, I always like to say that travel should, with children, not just be recreational but transformational. Um, so it's not just a cultural experience or something that enriches a child's you know, what they're learning in the classroom. But, look, you know, self-confidence is developed. New life skills, you know, happen when you travel. I, I mentioned my friend Sal, I met when I was 13 on a ship. You know, lifelong friends are formed sometimes when you travel. And, and so it, it goes well beyond just um, – you know, kind of academic enrichment. It, it's really personal um, exploration as well as global exploration, really. And I think, you know, for a child, it's, it's even that much more profound. And look, I, I will tell you, you know, I referenced my trip around the world, and I, I, I assume we'll be talking a little bit more about that later. Uh, but one thing I noticed with my children, it, it gave them the opportunity to kind of explore their interests in a way that they don't do in school. Uh, so in other words, when you're studying, you know, math and English and Um, social sciences and everything else that you're learning in grade school and in high school, you know, there are parameters around what you learn and and the interests that you can explore. But, you know, when you're traveling, all of a sudden all these new subjects and opportunities are thrown at you and they're new and they're exciting. And, And I noticed my son really gravitated towards architecture and he loved planes and, you know, that, that, that side of travel. Now, you know, he's off in college studying aeronautical engineering and, the modern architecture and that came from his exposure to it you know during our travels there's no question that 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 uh you know that that side of him was was um was born really through through that through those experiences
0: yeah um I'm with you hundred percent. I feel like we're, we're a bit of kindred spirits and just the way you were talking, that <laughs> those words could have just as easily flown out of my mouth. It made me think, I wrote an article uh, for dramatic travels.com about the benefits of travel, about the transformational changes that occurred in me over the years because of travel. And it just, I just realized that not a single one of them had anything to do with actual textbook education that stuff sort of happens too, but those weren't the things I took. Those weren't the takeaways for me. It was the things like the personal connections and the independence and the patience and the empathy and just the way that, that travel makes me feel as opposed to the travel way that or the things that travel teaches me. The things mm-hmm. that You could learn in a book. And that's just so perfectly said. And I think it's so important the work that you're doing with family travel association to to spread that message. I pulled some quotes off your, off the website and I feel like I could have written half of them at least because (laughs) it's just, I'm just so locked into this message. And that's what this podcast is all about. It's spreading the message of inspiring travelers like yourself and empowering parents to to take that step with their kids and overcome those fears and break down those, those, uh, those barriers. So awesome, awesome stuff, man.
1: Hey, if you want one more good quote, uh, I always want a good quote. (laughs) It's not my original, but I'll I'll give it to you. It's from a good friend, Keith Bellows. He was the editor in chief of national geographic traveler, wonderful friend and and, and terrific industry icon. Really? You know, he said, learning happens not just between the ears, but between the poles. And I love that. You know, that's, uh, that's true for, kids and adults of all ages but uh you know that, that there's i think nothing truer than that one
0: more inspiration for my future trip to antarctica which someday i will take <laughs> get closer to one of those right poles there you
1: go good man
0: sweet man well so we talked about people and, and and relationships and and the relationships that form out of travel can you tell me about a person in your life who you would describe as an inspiration for your travels
1: uh, well, uh, it might, this, this seems very cliche, but you know, it's certainly my parents. And I like to joke that, uh, my, uh, my wanderlust came from my German genetics and genes because, uh, I, I think it's required for, for Germans to travel. I think it's part of a national obligation. <laughs> uh, we've all, we, we've all been all over the world and seen Germans no matter where we are. Right. So mm-hmm. they, they get around, uh, and certainly they, um, you know, help fuel and again, kind of grow that wanderlust that I had. Um, but you know, look, I just mentioned his name, Keith Bellows. Um, you know, he, he was someone who I met during my, as you mentioned, earlier, 13 years at National Geographic. He was the editor in chief of National Geographic Traveler magazine. And um, when I gave my uh, my notice, when I informed the society that I was going to take this break and leave for a year and travel with the kids, he came into my office just with wide eyes and his arm outstretched. And he said, give me a big high five, my friend. He goes, that is awesome. You know, he was so pumped up. And then he said to me, he goes, look, I need you to do me a favor. Um, I would be thrilled if you would blog for me and blog for National Geographic's new intelligent travel blog, which was about to launch. And I, quite frankly, I didn't even really know what a blog was. You know, I, I knew it was like online journalism and writing, but you know, and then I was a little intimidated. I said, "Wait a minute, Keith. you want me to write for National Geographic?" You know, <laughs> I'm on the business side of things. I'm not sure if I'm you know, up to your standards. I'm not Bill Bryson or Paul Thoreau. you know. But uh, anyway, he said, "No, oh, no, no. Blogging is something that you know you can certainly get your hands around it." Anyway, I, I, I mentioned this because I took him up on his offer and ended up uh, not just writing about my travels uh, for National Geographic's Intelligent Travel, but ended up writing for several different travel outlets and and had stories in major national newspapers, USA Today, um, Christian Science Monitor, Chicago Tribune, you know. So suddenly uh, there was a lot of interest in what I had to say. Uh, So he was, you know, Keith was an inspiration in terms of, uh, and he he wrote a great book, um, The Hundred Places That Can Change Your Child's Life, which uh, was kind of my Bible when we were uh, thinking about our trip. Uh, So he gets it, you know, but he also was incredibly important in helping me with this career path that I didn't even know I was going down.
0: How would you describe the major struggles or the major obstacles to parents getting it? Because that's one of the things I'm really working hard here towards. And I want to get inside as many, you know, get inside the, the head of the average parent or the parent who's struggling, who's facing those obstacles.
1: Great question. I'm glad you asked, because uh, I, I do have a, a strong opinion on this one. Look, this is a generalization, and there are certainly lots of exceptions, and I'm assuming, to a large degree, your, your audience is that exception. Uh, but look, a lot of parents really, one, underestimate what their kids will like and enjoy. Look, one reason Disney's really popular is because parents think, hey, you know what, little Sonny, Johnny or Susie, they're gonna, it's Disney. They're going to love it. They're going to be happy. You know, they, they look at vacation, again, as being kind of that recreational time, you know, make the kids happy, put smiles on their faces. And, and Disney's, you know, pretty good at that. So taking nothing away from Disney. Um, but too many parents don't go beyond just trying to make their kids happy. You know, they kids will eat sushi in Japan if you them the opportunity. You know, bring them on a safari. Don't wait until they're out of school and in college and when you're an empty nester they're to get over to Africa, take the kids because they would be, you know, they, they, they jump all over it. So parents don't really have a, a, I guess, I think a breadth of understanding of what their kids will enjoy and be engaged with and, and, and appreciate, and maybe even be inspired by and, and, you know, learn from. Uh, so that is, is, is a big issue. And, you know, a lot of, in a lot of cases, parents don't really ask their kids. They don't get involved in the, in the planning. They, they put together the vacation and kind of bring their kids along, you know, get them interested, get them involved, have them participate. Um, you know, that, that to me is the biggest thing. And then compounding that problem that I just mentioned is the fact that a lot of parents just don't know what's out there, you know, besides Disney and, and carnival cruises and, and beaches, resorts, and things like that. Uh, you know, the breadth and, and the um, opportunities that are accessible to parents and the families Goes well beyond anything that that most parents know, and that's really the main reason why we launched the FTA, the Family Travel Association, was to help families discover really what all these possibilities are.
0: Well, I think that's great because you have that vision and you have that understanding of how important travel is, and then you're you're bridging that gap. You're helping bring down bring down those walls, and I think that is just wonderful, wonderful work, and it's right in line here with with. Uh, with the dramatic travels mission as well and not underestimating your kids. That was awesome. Cause that's, that's something I tell people all the time and I'm guilty of it even at times, you know? And I think when I really, really reflect on reasons why I don't want to do things with my kids, what I always seem to circle back to is that the problem is lies with me that yeah. I don't want to deal with, you know, potential adversity and it's easier just to go and just write a big check and go do a week at Disney and then I have to, I have to really rein that in and realize it's the kids aren't the problem. The kids are going adapt to just about anything you throw at them. So what I try to encourage parents is, you know, turn that mirror or, you know, look in that mirror and, uh, and think about what, what obstacles might be lying within you, those limiting beliefs and overcome those obstacles and get that confidence and get your kids out there. Cause it's absolutely critical.
1: Yeah. Well, well said. And, and about that information, uh, that I referenced also, or lack thereof, the one more quick, uh, kind of mentor, if you will, or influence, uh, on, on my travels. And, and again, this is for that intersection of professional and personal, you know, my wife and I were, are, we were certified to, to scuba dive before our honeymoon. So, uh, we have been at it for quite some time. We went diving pretty regularly before we had kids. And then suddenly Tyler and Stefan are born and, and it, it kind of ground to a halt because, uh, going on a, I'm a liverboard, never mind just a, a day dive trip. You know, isn't is something you typically do when you have young kids. Um, but I met a woman named Margot Payton who runs a company called Kids Sea Camp, which is tremendous. So, for anyone out there who is a diver or wants to be a diver and has children who might be interested, uh, Kids Sea Camp, uh, they take kids and families all over the world diving. But anyway, my point is that when I first met Margot Payton, you know, she asked me if my kids were certified to dive. And I, and I, I said to her, no, you know, they're, they're too young. They're only 10 and 13. And she looked at me and she said, they're, they're old enough. And I was like, no, they're not. like, you can't, you can't put a tank on a 10 year old, get them in the water. She goes, yes, you can. And so anyway, I was, I was humbled to learn that. Yes. In fact, Patty uh, offers a junior open water certification for 10 year olds. Uh, I immediately, uh, you know, got the kids, uh, as part of their you know, kind of summer break, uh, got them into a program, got them certified and, and away we went and we've been diving together ever since. Um, and so again, it's that, that, that awareness of, of what's even possible. And this is coming from someone who had traveled around the world with their kids or was a certified diver. And yet I had no idea that, that was even a possibility.
0: And that's so cool. And what was that like? What were those, what was that the class like in those first few dives with your kids?
1: You know, you know pretty quickly. Uh, w- w- even for an adult, you know, when you get in the pool, if you're comfortable sitting uh, at the bottom of a 12 foot, you know, <laughs> swimming pool, you'll be okay. Uh, you know, look, we're we're really spoiled because our first dives were uh, in Palau of all places, and uh, for their first dive, one uh, that we actually didn't participate in, we we did you know eventually during that week, but uh, they saw you know turtles and sharks and. Uh, I think even some manta rays by the by the end of the week, but you know that's that's pretty good stuff for any diver, never mind a uh, a newly certified eleven and thirteen year old. He's so set that, set that
0: bar pretty high. Uh,
1: hey, we're, we're at it almost every year. We we go on a trip, and uh, we hope to co- continue that for for time to come. But yeah, it's it's look like any like so much of family travel, it's that that bonding time. You know, it's uh, togetherness with the kids. But as many other. Tour operators will offer, you know, when you're with other families, you can get adult time and, you know, hang out with people that are usually, you know, pretty cool, pretty like-minded. So you're going to find some people you get along with and the kids are meeting other children their age and they're having a great time. So, uh, you know, you've got a lot of together time, but you also have an opportunity to, 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 to do a little adult, uh, adult time and let the kids, uh, you know, meet new friends. So it works real well.
0: Yeah. That's another huge part is, is meeting other people and especially meeting other kids. When you, when you travel overseas in particular and seeing kids your age in other countries, just going about their lives, going to school, going to the market with their parents. And it's, it's just so cool to interact with them. And then also to see that they're, they're, They're just like us and they they live on the other side of the world. And it's the, and you, man, you can form these really strong, really fast friendships. And you mentioned cruises earlier. That's a place where, you know, you spend a week with or two or two weeks, whatever, with these same people day after day after day. You feel like you're lifelong friends after just a few short days. And it's it's so memorable. The bonds are so real.
1: Absolutely. Yep. And they don't have to be big cruise ships either. You know, one thing about uh, the cruise industry. Uh, in fact, for for our family, uh, you know, we enjoy the expedition ships, the smaller ones. I mean, uh, a great example is Alaska. Uh, yeah, you you'll get the big ocean liners that are going up there now. In fact, there's you know a little bit of rumbling about you know are these big ships going to you know kind of tarnish the pristine environments uh, of Alaska. Um, you know, they're they're going to great lengths to not do that. But if you want to get off of those kind of four or five thousand passenger behemoths. Uh, there are some great opportunities with companies like Lindblad, uh, Alaskan Dream Cruises, uh, UnCruises. These are like 100 to at most 200 passenger catamarans in some cases, where you really get close to the shoreline and can watch the bears and follow whales as they're going through the bay and you know, get really close to the glaciers. So cruising doesn't have to be you know big buffet lines and uh, casinos uh, at sea. You know they could really be um, immersive experiences. Uh, with a much more intimate group uh, on these smaller ships, and you're going to see a lot more of them um, in, in the not too distant future. So the cruise lines are really jumping on this, and it, it, that that's a really terrific alternative for for those that would rather not spend their their holiday with again uh, thousands of other people.
0: My friends, Reiner is the president of the Family Travel Association for a reason. Just listen to all just one after another rattling off all those. Awesome, amazing, unbelievable opportunities for family travel around the world, and that's just in this—just a few minutes during this interview. Gosh, they're just—it's incredible what's out there, and I love that you're bringing—you're really bringing this in, bringing this home, and opening up our eyes to what is available, what's out there, places to take our kids. It's so cool.
1: Yeah, just this week, a company from Iceland uh, contacted me. Hey, we're we're taking people to to really go deeper and inside uh you know the off the beaten path places in in iceland and more and more families are interested we love to spread the word you know so iceland you know africa i mentioned there uh, you know costa rica has several you know terrific operators and and one thing about costa rica and and children uh look if i learned anything at national geographic while i was publisher of their kids magazine is that kids love animals (laughs) that's a that's kind of a given, um, but boy, that's why Costa Rica is, is such a hit because you've got monkeys and, you know, you've got, uh, I mean, at certain times of year, you, again, you've got the whales offshore. Um, you know, you've got some incredible, you know, tree frogs, nightlife, um, sloths, you know, all of these, you know, terrific things that boys and girls have a you know, terrific time exploring. They've got like, these caimans and, you know, swimming through these uh, tributaries uh, near Tortigara. I mean, you know, again, kids just kind of eat that up. Uh, so Costa Rica is a terrific destination and and very accessible, very affordable. I mean, I can go on and on, but, uh, you know, the, these things are all out there. Um, and and we're trying to help families discover them.
0: Sweet. Let's, let's get back to the family travel association in just a minute. I have a question that I'd love to ask well-traveled folks such as yourself, and it has to do with fear. It has to do with overcoming, uh, adversity. Can you tell me about a low moment from your travels anytime during your life? And so something that rocked you and what you learned from it.
1: Well, you know, the, I mentioned before about, uh, you know, the discovering things about yourself while you're traveling um, that are sometimes as profound as the places that you're visiting. Uh, so, you know, I, I will say that, that one thing that was very tough and that can get challenging uh, and, and I learned this you know, obviously as part of our around the world trip. Is uh, this idea of being a tourist, and uh, you know, it wasn't one profound, fearful, scary moment. But I, I want to share this because when you when you do travel, and and there's a desire now for people to really get local and immerse themselves in authentic, authenticity, authenticity. Excuse me, um, and uh, you know, have those kind of different experiences. It is very hard to escape being a tourist, uh, when you're in Africa and you're white and you've got two small children, same is true in Asia, um, and, and in many other parts of the world. And, you know, you are not, no, no matter how local, sometimes you try to get, or, you know, don't put on the fanny packs or don't make it obvious that you're, you know, a tourist, uh, it, that's tough. And that, uh, you know, that, that became again it's something that you fear, uh, but what happens is, you know, they're 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 after you to sell you something. You know, they'll they'll treat you like a tourist, and I can get very frustrating. And look, and sometimes tourists are targets, you know, um, and and so you do have to be a little bit more careful. So this idea of you know being in in foreign places and and not being local, and uh, no matter how hard you try, not you know to to fit in or blend or. Hang out with the locals. It could be it could be really difficult and challenging, um, particularly when you're doing it over a long long period of time. Um, and it uh, it it sucked, <laughs> you know. So uh, and and I, I never quite cracked the nut on how to overcome that, you know. Again, particularly in places like Africa, but that's when it's all about networking and get getting yourself comfortable with people and starting up those conversations and at least you know engaging with them because if you don't engage with them. Then they're going to really treat you like a tourist, and 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 know that you know you're you're not one of them. So uh, anyway, it, it, I don't know if that answered uh, the question head on, but it was clearly an observation I've made over several years of of being on the road.
0: Well, yeah, it's it's an interesting. I never really thought about that quite honestly. Is but it's certainly something that could could can put real fear into into the minds of potential travelers. But to know that there's certain fears or there's certain outcomes that are just going to happen but just to be prepared for them you can mitigate for them to some degree but you also know that you're going to you're going to take home that experience and it's all part of the, it's all part of the package it's all part of the the deal not every day of your travels is going to be perfect there's going to be bumps in the road there's going to be potentially scary moments adverse moments but it's all part of the package and that's that's really what the the message and the takeaway is to just try to eliminate that fear and look at it more as an experience and a learning opportunity
1: yeah. And, and, and thanks, Aaron. And, and really also, it, it's about that, you know, as you travel, accidents can happen just as they could when you're home, <laughs> you know, uh, over the course of a year, you know, we, we didn't really experience anything that was maybe any different than we would have had. You know, we, we got sick a couple of times and, you know, uh, lost something here or there things broke or, you know, things went wrong, but they do, no matter where you are, and that includes being home. So that, that's an excellent point don't think that all of a sudden, because you're going to be traveling and elsewhere and in the unfamiliar, that you're going to be more susceptible to risks. I, I mean, I think you are if you're not prepared for certain things. Um, but, uh, again, that, that idea of being a tourist, uh, and what could come with that. And as you say, mitigating, uh, some of those things, you know, Egypt is a good example uh, that, you know, and they've, they've hit a a rough spot when it comes to tourists. They have fewer of them because of just you know unrest in the Middle East and what's happened there. But you know you get bombarded by um, by people there and in certain other countries. Even you know, women sometimes can feel very uncomfortable in certain places. So yeah, getting that trying to get that tourist label off your off your forehead can be a, a challenge. Well.
0: That tourist label become it it may not go completely away, but it does fade over time as you gain experience and knowledge, and you know, you, you you leave the fanny pack at home,
1: <laughs> yeah, and the camera around your neck, and yeah, those types of things.
0: Yeah, I uh, my worst travel moment I I was pickpocketed in Athens, and I had my money not in a fanny pack in a money belt, but it still it still feels violating even though and. Oddly enough, we were talking about scuba diving the only the most the only thing I lost that was really a big pain in the butt to replace was my was my diving card it was in my wallet that got lifted but uh, all my money was in my money belt and I lived to tell the tale and it's just part of my story and just you live and learn and move on exactly and I considered myself fairly I was a fairly seasoned traveler at that point and they still got me. I dropped my guard for just a second on a public bus and they got my wallet, and I live to tell the tale.
1: Yeah, again, that's that that tourist label that uh, could be tough to shake.
0: Flight is a non-profit organization that empowers students in underserved communities through transformative travel experiences. I believe in flight because I believe that every student deserves a chance to expand his or her global education regardless of where they come from or how much money they have. I encourage you to visit DramaticTravels.com flight. There you'll find links to join the flight community and donate to this fantastic organization. That address again is DramaticTravels.com slash flight light writer if i was a travel brand and i come to the fta and as a potential member what 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 benefits does the fta offer me as a travel brand
1: well ultimately uh what an association is meant to do um any association really uh brings together a group of individuals or people or a combination of thereof and um really with with one kind of guiding goal and mission, uh, and uh, so you're really, whether you're a brand or, or an individual, you know, you're know, you buying into a membership with a, a purpose and that your participation in, in that organization will help achieve that purpose. Uh, so with a travel brand, uh, you know, besides kind of helping support some of the things that the FTA is doing in terms of advocacy and you know, things that go beyond any kind of ROI, uh, really, it's about access um, and, and making connections, connecting brands with travel agents who are looking for ideas and, and opportunities and possibilities to again kind of sell to their their clients and their families. Um, we are connecting the media. Uh, you know, I mentioned some of these uh, these tour operators. Uh, you know, we want to get the media on some of those trips so that they can write about them. Uh, so that the brand, again, whether it's a tour operator like Kids Sea Camp or even if it's uh, Adventures by Disney, you know, they're running new trips and tours I and mean, river cruising has started to take off for families and Ammo um, Waterways is a new member and they they want families to, you know, experience this kind of relatively new product that, that's now gearing uh, and being more tailored towards towards kids. You know, people got to got to hear about it. So we want our media, uh, to make those connections. So it's really about making connections, uh, with travel agents, with the media so that ultimately more families learn about them. that. That's the ultimate goal. So it's, it's those connections.
0: You mentioned advocacy and, and advocacy benefits everyone on both sides, the consumer side and the brand side. What are, what are some of the programs, your outreach and your advocacy programs that you've got working right now?
1: Yeah. Well, the big one, uh, And there's still, it's still not fully resolved, but, uh, almost two years ago now, it's crazy. Um, two congressmen uh, approached us and one wanted our help in getting public interest and support for the families flying together act. Uh, and this is pretty simple. And as the name suggests, uh, you know, these legislators felt it's important and, and parents right really to be able to sit next to their kids on a flight without having to pay a premium or without being separated altogether from a really young child. And there have been, you know, hundreds of these, uh, cases where, you know, parents are on a flight and or boarding a a plane and they're, they're separated from their kids and the flight attendant says, Hey, you know, you'll just have to ask fellow passengers to switch seats. And in many cases they don't do it. So anyway, um, the as part of the FAA reappropriations act, uh, there is a family flying together uh, act that is going to um, make sure that airlines uh, do not charge a premium and guarantee that that families with children under 13 traveling together are seated together. But look, this is a big issue, and, and, and families have all sorts of challenges that other travelers, you know, non-family travelers don't have. Uh, you, you know, when it comes to sitting together on a plane. When it comes to you know getting car seats and all kinds of accessories when they travel, um, And there's a lot to do. There's a lot of anxiety, um, particularly when the kids are younger. And so, uh, you know, we're also really working with these brands with our with our partners to you know ensure that uh, they are taken care of, um, but that also the communications are there so that parents know that they have access to these things and and they could be less concerned or one less headache resolved, uh, when they plan these things, because believe me, there's a lot of, there's a lot of barriers to entry when it comes to traveling with your kids. You know, some parents will say, Hey, I don't want to deal with all this and the heck with it. We're just going to stay home and, you know, visit a local park, uh, which (laughs) it's also okay. But, uh, I think, you know, a lot of companies are starting to really adapt their products for families. One in particular, uh, intrepid, uh, they're a, a, a tour operator out of Australia. They they go all around the all around the world, um, and they have now set up tours for single parent families. Um, and and you know there's this single supplement. Don't want to get into all the all the details of sometimes the challenges of traveling alone or as a single parent, but that's been addressed. And uh, the fact that there are different needs and challenges for single parents, a tour operator has actually addressed that and now created product just for them. Uh, LGBT families have um, uh, special interests and needs that that the travel industry is starting to adapt to. Uh, never mind kids with autism and and some of those things. You know, Legoland has this whole new thing. Actually, airlines and airports are allowing children with autism to go and kind of do a, a dry run, a, a test run, to make sure that they're comfortable with the process, so that the parents feel more assured that when it's time for the real thing, that uh, you know they won't freak out. So. A lot of stuff going on behind the scenes that that um, we're thrilled is happening. But you know, we there, there there's a lot there's a lot still to overcome, and, and that's part of what we're working on.
0: That really is remarkable, and it it just really makes me grateful for the time we live in. That, but the the, the, the level of communication that can occur because of the technology that the adv, the advocacy groups exist for single parents, for parents of children with with autism, etc., to have their voices heard, and then the market has to respond. I mean, then that's a you know, market, ultimately it's a market correction. These are for profit businesses, but without that give and take and the advocacy on one side and then the market response on the other and the FTA kind of being right there in the mix, it's just so wonderful that that can happen and that you and I can sit here and talk about it. And these corrections can happen relatively quickly uh, and to, to meet the market needs and the needs of parents and travelers everywhere. It's so cool. Yeah,
1: And I, I'll tell you one thing, this seems so logical and, simple but uh it, it's amazing that it doesn't always kind of work out that way that you know if 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 your family you're almost forced depending you know once the kids get off to school that you're you've got windows uh in which you can travel summer obviously you know is, is the biggest one but spring break can be a mad rush for a lot of families you know looking to escape the winters of the northeast etc uh you know winter holiday etc that's when airline prices really spike and travel you know becomes um you know real heavy during those periods if, if you don't have children of school age I don't know why someone would travel in July and August never mind even, even June like all right non-families you're not allowed to travel I, that's what I would say no no travel for anyone without kids between June and the end of august uh because look that's that's the mad rush and, and honestly if, if you're not traveling with kids heck go in September and may to places like Europe or anywhere that a, the weather's better, and the prices are much more reasonable, and, and they're less crowded. Uh, but, you know, that's another, you know, big challenge, and, and it, it becomes a challenge for non-families, is that, you know, these, these uh, you know, kind of peak periods um, cause over, you know, overcrowded conditions. I mean, in, in some cases, there's not enough supply. I mean, we'd love to see more families going to the Galapagos, but some of these ships can hold more. Kids. I mean, you know, <laughs> uh, if the demand really went up the way we like to see it, uh, again, because of these school breaks, those, those windows of when they can travel are pretty small, and c- could be a, a, a tough strain on, on those suppliers. So, uh, anyway, that I've got plenty of members of the association who'd love to kind of stagger breaks throughout the year for schools and you know, for, <laughs> find some magic bullet that would allow and enable families to travel during these kind of non-peak times. And, and that would be wonderful. And look, we even endorse to a degree traveling with your children and taking them out of school, you know, particularly when they're in, in grade school, as opposed to high school necessarily. But, you know, if, it, if it's meaningful and enriching and transformational travel, that's better. You know, being on the road like that with your, with your family is you know, a week well spent outside the classroom. They'll be do- they'll learn a lot more.
0: Have there been any efforts to to actually get the schools get schools on board for something like that? Because I love I love that in concept, but I also know that schools are very protective over making sure the kids in oh, yeah. the classroom to get so they can get paid.
1: That's going to be a long term uh, process, I think, for us. Because that yeah, that's a very tough nut to crack. I mean, there certainly are individual teachers and even some school districts that will support um, and not frown on or punish parents for taking their kids out of school to travel. But to institutionalize that on a, on a regional or certainly national level, uh, that, that's going to be a, a, a tough one because of all the you know, requirements now that teachers have in terms of making sure X, Y, Z gets taught. And uh, Yeah, that, that, that will be a tough one. Um, but we are happy to send parents permission slips. There you go. Uh we'll sign it and endorse them. So if they want to say, hey, you know, my kid uh, missed school because of X, Y, Z, and the FTA has listed ten benefits for us having taken that trip with our kids. Happy to, happy to send them that.
0: Well, maybe we could get those uh, those two congressmen to, to you know, do a little tit for tat and, and help sign <laughs> help sign those permission slips. Yeah, yeah, I love it.
1: Hey, there there'd be more than two, but.
0: All right, Reiner, I'm going to step aside for just a minute and we're going to thank our non-profit partner and we're going to be right back and you're going to give us some rapid fire answers to some rapid fire travel questions. Stay with us. Every student deserves a chance to expand his or her global education regardless of where they come from or how much money they have. I believe this to be true and so does flight. Flight is a nonprofit organization that empowers students in underserved communities through transformative travel experiences. Flight was founded in 2015 by travel author and blogger Matthew Kepnes, better known as Nomadic Matt. Since 2015, Flight has sent three groups of students to Mexico, Cuba, and Ecuador, and they're in the process of selecting their next school partner for a trip this coming summer. Flight was built with the support of donors who believe that travel can positively change the trajectory of one's life and create more well-informed global citizens. I encourage you to visit DramaticTravels.com slash flight. There you'll find links to join the flight community and donate to this fantastic organization. Now flight is spelled F-L-Y-T-E. So that address again on the web is DramaticTravels.com slash flight. Flight. Dramatic Travels family, we are back with Reiner Jens and my friends. It's time to turn up those earbuds because Reiner is going to be sharing some travel knowledge that you're not going to want to miss. Reiner, tell us how do you best capture your travel memories, and give us a tip about how to use that method effectively.
1: Well, I uh, almost hate to admit it, as a uh, kind of advanced amateur photographer, I used to lug around my uh, Nikon and all the gear and the lenses and, and the whole bit, and uh, with with only a few exceptions, places like Africa or places with particularly challenging light conditions, I now rely on my iPhone. That is my uh, that's my camera. That's my my video camera as well. Uh, you know the the quality of them is, is really good. Uh, I use that. I use the editing, so uh, the the quality is pretty good, and you can do some really good you know editing on those. And uh, look, I I share them with Facebook through my friends, as most do. Uh, but then, look, I'm still writing stories every now and then. Although I don't have my own blog anymore, don't blog for National Geographic. Uh, I do get content out there on behalf of some of our members and do some writing for the FTA and, and some other outlets. So uh, I've got the good fortune of, of having that channel of distribution. But yeah, you know what? That iPhone will, and Android, I understand they got pretty good cameras that like the Samsung does. So uh, I think that could that should do the trick. And and you know what? The biggest benefit to that is it's light. You don't have to carry around extra gear.
0: And no doubt about it. So you talk about travel writing and that might be, I feel like that's something that a lot of people may want to do. The idea of journaling or writing up a trip. Do you have any just quick pro tips on writing up a trip and keeping a journal?
1: Yeah. Uh, two things. One, keep it personal, keep it about yourself. Uh, you know, it, it, it really, when I did it, uh, I, felt uh, you know a certain sense of responsibility uh, the fact that I was doing it for National Geographic and its audience and and with that comes uh, obviously some some bigger weight uh, but if you're having if you're doing your own personal blog um, and you know you don't have a particularly global or, or you know huge audience it's all about yourself but don't let it um, influence what you do I mean I think there' are some people who will travel for the story uh, you know they'll 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 try to do something, or they'll they'll approach an experience for the sake of having to be interesting in terms of a story or content. I mean, they, you can get pretty consumed by by this, and uh, you don't want to have it shape or influence you too much. Where you're just kind of out there trying to get a story, as opposed to you know, experiencing things on your own terms and having it come more naturally and or organically. If, if, hope that makes sense, but
0: that makes a lot of sense. And that's, that's very insightful. Cause I know I've been guilty of that, of, you know, occasionally, you know, pushing something a little further than I would just, just for the, for the photo or just for the story. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's being authentic and organic is, is, is definitely a, yeah. a better way to go. I
1: mean, look, there's no question that, uh, and I, I, I am guilty as charged uh, on, on, on several occasions, but you know, people are kind of going for that photo or for that image to, send back to their friends so they could say they've been there or they've done that. And, you know, when you're, when you're trying to capture that image or when you're focused and fixated on that, you can miss the whole experience.
0: When it's, <laughs> you know, uh,
1: that, you know, if you're out, um, you know, safari, you know, I mentioned Safari, uh, you know, I, I remember we went on a few game drives. I didn't even bring my camera. That was very difficult, but you know, that, that just enabled you to kind of just enjoy the experience for what it is. And it's, you know, it's easy to lose sight of uh, of that connection of that present moment if you're out there just, you know, worried about the aperture in your camera and your lenses. And, you know, you're thinking technically, not emotionally or, or organically. So don't just go for the story. Don't just go for the shot.
0: Agreed. And I, one thing I'm working on is if I'm going to share the story, at least sharing the whole story, because I came back from a trip last week into Yosemite and I was looking back through my Instagram feed and it was just happy, 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 happy. And there we, don't get me wrong, tons of happy times, but we also had some rough times. Our kids had a couple of moments, and I was like, you know what? This I felt it felt inauthentic to just put this whole everything's unicorns and rainbows when it wasn't. So when I got home, I wrote a blog post about some of the things that weren't in the Instagram feed to just kind of round it out, you know, round out the uh, this authenticity of that trip. Like my life isn't perfect, even though maybe my Instagram feed may suggest that it is. It's far from perfect.
1: And, and a lot of trips aren't perfect either. Uh, you're absolutely right. And uh, you, know, you don't see too many Facebook posts or uh, stories about things that go wrong. But uh, maybe I'll try that. You know. Actually, my friends are always you know, probably, probably a little annoyed about like, all the places I travel to you know, pretty constantly. And uh, I, I think, you know what? Thank you. I think for the next one, I'm just going to post something that is unpleasant and see what kind of reaction I get. Because I, <laughs> that, that's the honest side. That's the flip side of travel. It, it, those things happen too.
0: Uh, you might be surprised. I mean, it's so it's so it's so humanizing, yeah. And uh, I love that. So, Reiner, tell us about a specific lesson or a specific skill that you've learned in your travels that helps you navigate everyday life.
1: Uh, well, you know, it's come up a couple of times already in our conversation. That is, you know, networking, talking to people, you know, getting yourself out there. Uh, during our around the world trip, uh, we just so happened by by real luck and, and happenstance to be staying in uh, Hobart, Australia uh, at the very end and conclusion of the Sydney Hobart yacht race, which uh, happens every, every winter between Christmas and New Year's. And we're out to dinner one night in the Harbor. Uh, and as it turned out, sitting next to a pretty ruckus table of about I don't know, a dozen to 20 people who were wearing windbreakers who clearly were part of this race. Uh, and I, I said to my boys, I'm like, Hey guys, listen, go up and, you know, ask those guys if they were in the race, how they do, it. you know, cause I'm always encouraging them to strike up some conversation, talk to the locals, you know, engage with, uh, you know, where you are and who you're with. And they were reluctant this time. They said, dad, come on. You're always asking us to do this. I said, no, no, just do it. Come on. It'd be interesting. And so they, they approached these two guys that we're sitting next to and, we start getting into this long conversation, and uh, the guys seem to be really interested in our kids, so I walk over, and we we end up, uh, we, we find out that they had picked Mark Richards, who was the captain of the winning boat, and Bob Oatley, who was the owner of Wild Oats, which was the winner of that year's race. And Bob Oatley, in fact, uh, was one of the richest men in all of Australia, and these are the two guys that my boys happened to Go up to and strike a conversation with, and uh, anyway, next day these guys were in the papers and all over the media, and my kids were pretty, were uh, <laughs> pretty awestruck after the fact. But anyway, the, the point is, like, look, you never know, you know, right? Who you who you'll meet, what kind of stories, uh, you know, you'll you'll hear, and what kind of inspiration might come out of these encounters. And I, you know, certainly for me, and hopefully for my kids, the lesson learned is that. You know engaging in conversation real life engagement as opposed to just digital and you know online communication is, is really a, a great foot forward in, in anything you do
0: without question and you know, it kind of makes your head spin when you think about the potential missed opportunities that have occurred over all of our lives for that one time when we didn't say hello to to the guy sitting next to us in the elevator or the woman sitting next to us on the plane. You know, that's a lot of missed opportunities. Excellent, excellent takeaway there, Reiner. appreciate that story. Yeah. Great story by the way, too. So Reiner, you seem like a pretty well-read dude. Uh, can you tell us about a travel related book and tell us why it's so special?
1: Yeah, there's uh well, there's, there's one, um, the book that I love has been, and I've reread it actually more than once. Um, the alchemist, it's kind of the, uh, the ultimate, you know, travel story of, of someone who's seeking and for, for understanding and, and for personal meaning, um, and not being satisfied and content. He Travels really the world, or at least in this case, I think he ends up in, in Egypt. And, uh, the lesson that he learns ultimately that, uh, you could travel everywhere and, and experience the world and seek and explore, but ultimately the answers are inside. I mean, there's so many stories that have that use that metaphor, you know, or or that, that truism that, uh, you know, that, that it is all inside and internal. The alchemist really presents that in a, in a compelling way, but you know, look why that's relevant for travel. Um, you know, keep kind of going back to it, but, the idea that travel is transformational, not just recreational. Um, You know, it, it is a way, it is a doorway and a gateway to this understanding, this self exploration, as opposed to just global and external exploration. Um, And I think understanding though, that, you know, no one place is going to be the answer, you know, going somewhere, traveling and escaping isn't necessarily going to solve your problems. You know, it it is still, the answers are all inside. Um, and I think just uh, you know, travel still has an you know, incredible way of enriching that. But The Alchemist is a, is a terrific book for those seekers amongst us and, I, and those explorers. I think we're, we all probably fall in that category.
0: Well, and thank goodness that one trip can't solve all those problems because we want to keep going back, man. That's, <laughs> uh, that, yeah. that, that's so true. And that's something that really... Uh, that, it comes with perspective that comes over time, that idea that you're never You're never going to get to that, that happy point. If you know, I know a lot of people, especially when you're younger where you're like, Oh, once I just graduate college or once I find that job or once I get my own house or once I get married, or, you know, there's always that when I, when I, when I, then I'll be happy. You know, you, you gotta, you're, we're always seeking. It's never going to happen. And quite frankly, I don't want it to happen. I want to keep seeking.
1: Yeah. And look, and it's a great point. And look at For Californians who are surrounded by sunshine all the time, that's a tough place to leave. Uh, But, you know, I think a destination in and of itself is not going to provide you with an answer, is not going to be the answer to that that question. Again, I I think exploring the world and traveling and learning from it is a way, it's enrichment. It's not a solution uh, to one's personal quests you know that um that 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 needs to be kind of that 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 comes from, that's always there that's that's in the inside travel will enrich yeah, and advance.
0: when travel is transformational not just recreational is that a trademark slogan <laughs> Cause i think i'm gonna uh, i think i'm gonna use that for the name of this episode I, it's perfect
1: i'm happy to share
0: okay that I'm sure i heard
1: it somewhere travel. but I, I i don't know but yeah i love it yeah i always love and it it's all about meaning too you know the one one quick thing, if I may add, you know, the, one of the buzzwords in the travel industry is experiential travel. And I'd say, look, you know, every trip is experiential in some way. I, I think the more appropriate word, and, and Jack Izan, who's uh, uh, a prominent travel agent here in New York, uh, is the one who kind of came up with this. But uh, it's really about meaningful travel. And I think people are really seeking that—that is meaningful in some way. Um, and that's what experiences provide, you know, they, they provide meaning, they can provide meaning. It's it's the gateway to meaning. Uh, I, I think that's what, what, what people are really seeking in authenticity and, and things like that. You know, that that, that again is, is a big focus for the travel industry now is to provide that those those opportunities, those pathways for people to explore and gain insight and meaning into into their lives or, or the lives of others that they meet.
0: I love it, man. I love that. It's perfect. Reiner, before we say goodbye, I'd love for you to just share one last piece of advice for parents who are looking to inspire their children through travel but don't know where to start.
1: Well, uh, if you really want to just get some general ideas, uh, you know, the the internet's a big, wild world. Uh, It can be scary because you don't know what you're looking at or finding or reading, but um, familytravel.org. And familytravel.org is a, uh, a good place to kind of learn a little bit about what we're doing, but who we're working with, some of the companies out there that are involved in some of the types of trips that I described. Uh, so I think that's a, uh, a great place to start. Um, you'll also find travel agents. Um, we have a, a whole membership listing. There are, are travel agents who focus on family travel that are listed on our website. And really, my advice is don't be afraid to use a travel agent. <laughs> You know these; uh, they can save parents a lot of time. They can save them a lot of money. Contrary to what a lot of people think, agents actually can really save you money, not not charge fees. I mean, they do, but the, ultimately those fees are are going towards services that that are that could be very time consuming for for the average parent or average person. Uh, and plus, they they can provide you with access to things that you would have to work really hard to try to get on your own. So don't be afraid to pick up the phone or, or reach out and contact a travel agent. There are dozens and there are hundreds in this country that specialize in it and are pros on family travel that probably know a lot more than I do, but uh, I just happen to be the one uh, kind of waving the banner.
0: I heard that the travel agents are are making a comeback and the, the reason I heard that in a weird context and it was almost like it wasn't even a great thing. It was, be, they, they blamed it on millennials or they said millennials are the reason because they can't do anything for themselves. And I said, well, maybe they're the smart ones who are outsourcing trip planning to professionals. And
1: they are the smart ones. That That's an excellent point. And yes, millennials are apparently, and, and more than one research study has confirmed this. They're more likely to use a travel agent than even baby boomers. Uh, which to me was very surprising when I first heard it. But you're right. They, they will do the research. Uh, they certainly know how to navigate the web and get information. But like you said, they're, they're smart in the fact that, hey, they should book it for me. Because when you do, if something goes wrong, you can contact a live, living, breathing person who knows you and knows your trip and knows everything about what's involved in, in correcting whatever problem or challenge there might be. Ah, uh, good luck trying to contact Expedia or any of these OTAs that you might have booked your trip with, uh, because that that's going down a very tough path in terms of trying to get anything done. So, yeah, the, those millennials are onto something when it comes to using agents, and and agents are upping their game. You know, and we're trying to help them. Uh, we're educating them on again some of these uh, products and services that are now available to the parents, but. Uh, yeah, it's it's a great resource because, as you mentioned earlier, not everything is uh, you know rainbows and sunshine when you travel. When there are problems, and sometimes they're real problems, um, flight cancellations, issues with hotels, something uh, you know unforeseen happening health wise or otherwise, um, you know those, those agents are there to, to really supply, supply support, so it doesn't ruin a very expensive vacation.
0: Absolutely. And that support is key. Building that community around you of like-minded folks is huge and travel agents certainly fit that bill. Ryder, it's been a real pleasure, man. Where can folks go to, to learn more about you if they want to?
1: Well, again, uh, familytravel.org, uh, pay us a visit there kind of see what we're doing as an industry. Uh, there's a, there's a lot more to family travel, like I said, than, than, uh, the theme parks all inclusives and cruise lines. They're terrific, but, uh, there's a whole big world for there to be dis- explored discovered, particularly when it comes to family. So they have more options, not fewer. So visit us at familytravel.org. All right,
0: right, will do. Go explore that big world, my friend, and explore it with your family. Reiner. I'm going to say goodbye now. It's been a real pleasure, but have a great rest of your day and we'll talk to you later. That's
1: the plan. Hey, thanks so much.
0: All right, my friend, that is a wrap on episode 13 of the Dramatic Travels podcast. So yes, my dear. I'm, trying, I'm, reporting, I'm recording uh, the end to my podcast. How can I help you today, sweetie? Um Can you give me whipped cream in a bowl? You want whipped cream in a bowl. Okay, let me just do the end real quick. I'm just going to say goodbye to my my family, my Dramatic Travels family, and then I'm going to get you some whipped cream in a bowl. Deal? Bye-bye. Bye-bye. DramaticTravels.com, my friend. Have a great one. <laughs> right. See you later. Well, hey, I really hope you enjoyed this fifth and final episode from The Vault, from the Dramatic Travels Vault. I hope you had some fun here in the month of July as we dug back into the archives of the podcast that started it all. And Family Travel Radio is going to be back with brand new episodes starting next week, next Monday. And you don't want to miss it. we got a lot of great stuff coming your way. It all starts next Monday. And until then, this is Aaron Schlein for Family Travel Radio, and I am signing off.